I'd like to acknowledge the traditional caretakers and inhabitants of this land across Australia. Also locally where I stand, the Beerpai people, who continue their cultural practices, wisdom and law. Hi and welcome to the Pollination Mamas podcast, where we have collaborative conversations, cross-pollinate and connect, as we span our wings across topics such as feminine wisdom, womb wisdom, herbal plant medicine, natural fertility awareness, postpartum care, sacred sisterhood, sacred motherhood, women's circles and deep connectedness. If you're here, I believe you too are on a journey to reclaim and revitalise ancient feminine wisdom in a modern context. Not only for ourselves now, but for future generations to come. Thank you so much for being here. Okay, well, welcome to another Pollination Mamas podcast. I'm really excited today to have Julia Jones here. Julia was my postpartum teacher, but she's more than that. She's an Australian pioneer in her field of postpartum health. She's a postpartum doula, entrepreneur, author, and philanthropist. So Julia became a postpartum doula at 24 years old and came to postpartum work through her interest in Ayurvedic traditional Indian medicine. After learning about Ayurvedic postpartum care, Julia knew she had found her calling in life. She's the founder of Newborn Mothers, postpartum professional training, who I studied with, as I mentioned. She's also the author of her recently released book, Newborn Mothers, When a Baby is Born, So is a Mother. She also has a cookbook called Newborn Mothers or Nourishing Newborn Mothers. Julia marries traditional wisdom with modern scientific research and the understanding of neuroscience to assist new mothers to celebrate this important transition, embrace baby brain and create peace and joy in early motherhood and beyond. So thanks for being here today, Julia. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. As I mentioned, you're greatly influenced by traditional postpartum care and neuroscience. But first of all, I'd just like for you to share a little bit more about that traditional postpartum care influence and your Ayurvedic traditional medicine influence. Yeah, so when I was younger, I travelled through India for a year and I was doing um, volunteer work. It was after I finished university. And it was a really special and very influential year in my life. And, um, and as most people who spend, you know, any amount of time in India, I got really, really sick. And that was when I discovered Indian medicine. And I had already known about it a little bit before that. I'd heard of Ayurveda, um, but didn't really explore it very deeply. And then once I was sick and I found an Ayurvedic doctor who healed me and I was like, whoa, this is so amazing. And at first I actually wanted to be an Ayurvedic doctor, but, you know, that would have been meant six years studying in India and I wanted to have kids and I was kind of thinking, oh, what's another way? And, and you know, through some of my study and my exploration, I came across Ayurvedic postpartum care and that really was just like, wow, this is it. This is what I want to do. You know, because I'd always known that something was missing in our culture, but I didn't really know what it was. Um, and that really like opened my mind up. But then, you know, then I realized that it's not just in India, it's everywhere, everywhere, you know, and it's not even just in Africa or, um, you know, like places China, you know, people kind of think, oh, you know, there's a few cultures that have good postpartum care, but it's actually every culture if you dig deep enough. So, you know, Ayurveda was really, it opened that door for me and, and um, yeah, and it still holds a very special place in my heart. 
Wonderful. Thank you. I think it's such an important point that you make, even though there's some cultures now that still have strong postpartum care. Almost all cultures had it, European cultures, African, Southeast Asian, South America, everywhere. And it's just a matter of revitalization now. And also within, yes. a, within a modern context. So taking the strengths that still work for us now and giving that a bit of a modern, modern swing. Speaking of that, you also have a wonderful influence and understanding of neuroscience and the changes that happen in a mother's brain. You talk about the well-known term baby brain and how we can reframe that into the positive. Can you explain a little bit more, share a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, you know, that was, again, I, part of my journey, but as I was learning about Ayurveda and then traditional medicine and and I put all those pieces together for postpartum care and I still felt like there was something missing. I still couldn't quite get to the bottom of it. And I felt like there was just something else that I hadn't discovered yet. And that was when I was introduced to this concept of baby brain, originally by um, Christina Smiley, who's a, a pediatrician and lactation consultant. And then through um, Kirsten of Nasmoberg, who's really leading the world in terms of research into um, what I call baby brain, which is really just about how the brain changes when you become a mother. And when I found out about this, it, it really did blow my mind. Um, but your brain really does change. Like, you know, that they can actually tell on a, an algorithm just by looking at brain scans, whether this is a brain of a mother or of a non-mother. And, um, you know, that really just, um, it really resonated with me because so many people I talk to, so many mothers I talk to, including myself, really feel like they're a different person after they have a baby, but we don't have any framework for that. We don't have any understanding for that, for supporting that transition and that and that rite of passage and that sort of thing. So, yeah, the more I looked into baby brain, the more I was like, oh, this is the perspective that I was missing. And, you know, really we're all just talking about the same thing, whether you use, you know, this language or that language. It's We're all just talking about the same thing. Um, and, and that really is the concept that when a baby is born, so is a mother. And that, that you know, that there's really specific um, needs and a, and a special journey that a woman goes on um, and, uh, and that, that it needs supporting. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think whether people are drawn more to look into postpartum care from the traditional side or from the scientific side. In our modern culture, we, we do need to, and there's, that's, there's a benefit to that. There's a strength to looking at the science behind things. And, and it, yeah, it's amazing. Like when I first learned that from you, it not only did it blow me away from a really intellectual point of view, but it was also really good to affirm my experience and also to share that with other women that your brain literally does change it's not just this ethereal experience that feels like you're having a, a huge change of becoming a new person literally physically your brain is changing and um also i really love how kirsten luminous moberg talks about the calm and connection response. And I think you mentioned this in your book also. So a lot of the time when we talk about um, hormones and the brain and trauma and things like that, we know of the common fight versus flight. But the other side of that, which is so important for new mothers, is the calm and connection response, which is largely fueled, well, both sides, the fight versus flight and the calm connection by oxytocin. Is that right? 
Yes, it is. And, you know, Kirsten was really one of the first people to start exploring this, this part of the nervous system because typically, you know, our culture is dominated by men and especially feels like science and research. And so for such a long time, people knew about fight or flight but didn't realise there was this whole other system, nervous system going on in your body too, which um, she calls calm and connection. Sometimes it's called, it gets called, you know, tend and befriend as well. Mm. And um, that's actually really important and you've got to have both. And the problem in our culture is that we overemphasise the masculine and we devalue the feminine. And everyone has it, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're a mother or not, whether you're elderly or a child, everyone has the need for both of these um, perspectives in their life. And, um, yeah, and we really need to start embracing that calm and connection response as well and seeing the value of, of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that about oxytocin. We often talk about hormones, talk about stress hormones, or we talk about sex hormones like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, even though all of us have whether we're male or female, have a mixture of all the sex hormones in different amounts. But oxytocin really feels like that one that we all have access to and we can all help each other. So not only can we help ourselves um, induce more oxytocin, but we can help ourselves. And it's a good reminder that we're human and we're interconnected and we have a really important role to play in each other by um, helping stimulate oxytocin in each other especially new mothers and young children can you talk you talk a fair bit about it in the book so i do encourage any new mums or new families to read the book but can you give us a few little tips on um just as an example of how people can enhance oxytocin in their world so they get an idea of what we're talking about yeah, so people obviously, uh, a lot of the time when I talk about oxytocin, people think about synthetic oxytocin, which in Australia we call syntocin, and in other parts of the world um, it gets called pitocin. Sometimes people have injections and nasal sprays and that kind of thing. But actually all oxytocin is is a naturally occurring hormone and, um, and you just get it from connection. It's all about falling in love. It's all about connecting with people. Um, you know, and since humans are such a, you know, being social is such an important part of what makes us human. We have such complex um, social structures and reciprocity and, and trust and that kind of thing. Um, you know, that, that oxytocin is really what makes us, you know, binds us together. And, and, and it really forms such a strong part of, of our humanity. Uh, and, you know, and it's actually so very simple. Oxytocin is simply a hug. It's eye contact. It's, it's a kiss. It's a cuddle. It's um, laughing. You know, even actually going on social media can increase your oxytocin. Anything that connects you with other people, you know, you pick up the, the phone and you call your girlfriend or your mum or your kids or anything, anything that connects you with other people is increasing your oxytocin levels. So it's really so simple to do. And it's what we all have the urge to do, but, but we're sort of encouraged not to in our culture, not to, you know, we're told to be independent and, um, you know, and, and actually that it's weak to reach out to other people. So sometimes that can be, um, you know, conflicting to what our natural body um, wants us to do. Yeah, absolutely. And you make a good point that there's a huge masculine influence and there's a lot of strengths in that with um, moving really fast and achieving a lot and not slowing down when you're in the middle of something and, um, yeah, go out there and, 
and achieve and out there in the world, but there's that other side which is a bit out of balance and is such an important part of the postpartum, which is that slowing down, that connecting, that um, less cerebral space, which can be harder for women that have been um, studying a lot and working a lot. Um, so, yeah, bringing in that balance. And I think we'd see for everyone such a difference in anxiety across the board with um, if we could induce more oxytocin. I just love that it's become a part of my language also and other people's language now is we sort of like joke about what, oh, I must be getting an oxytocin boost or I need to do this to bring on the oxytocin. I think that's where cultural shifts happen, even if you don't use the term oxytocin about changing our concepts and our language. I also... I completely agree. And sorry, I want to comment on that because, you know, oxytocin was discovered for birth and the name in Latin means quick birth. And that was originally what it was thought to do. It would begin and end with labor. Um, And then they discovered it actually is also related to breastfeeding. It's also related to falling in love. And then they really realized that you also get oxytocin from having sex, that it's not just um, mother child love. It's, it's, platonic love it's romantic love it's all love um, and it's all connection and actually you know I interviewed Kirsten of Nas Moberg on my podcast recently and she said that the the future for oxytocin research is super exciting which is actually going to be about healing um, the implications of oxytocin in all sorts of of um, modern common illnesses like diabetes and obesity and, and heart disease um, you know, is it's showing enormous promise, um, and that's a really, really exciting new area of research that's opening up. So you're absolutely right. I mean, once we get in touch with this more feminine way of doing things, it's obviously becoming a mother is a really beautiful place to start opening us up to that power and the value of the feminine. But the impact across our entire lives for everyone are, you know, the potential is enormous. Yeah, it really is. Oxytocin for everyone. I've actually, it's funny. (laughs) So I've got um, Kirsten's book in front of me, The Oxytocin Factor. She has a few books. And the one little part that I bookmarked was growth and healing of wounds. And so not only is it important for emotional and mental health, but that physical health. And she says, oxytocin stimulates growth not only by promoting the development of the animal as a whole, but also by accelerating the healing of wounds. So, yeah, I'm excited to follow the future of oxytocin research. Mm. But I'll come back to to mamas. So um, in your book, you talk about the baby-boosted brain, and I love this because I've had a few pregnancies, um, children, and each time I feel like I change. um, A lot of me stays the same, but there's this drastic change each time. It's not just when you have your first baby, it continues on. And it's important no matter whether you've had one or six babies or more. And I really can relate to this huge surge of creativity and motivation, which feels like it might be a part of this baby booster brain, uh, which can be hard to balance when you're balancing home life and kids and things like that. But can you talk a little bit more about this baby boosted brain? Yeah, I actually got that phrase, the baby boosted brain from a book called The Mummy Brain by Catherine Ellison, which is an excellent book if anyone else wants to, you know, look a bit deeper into that. But she really explores the longer term benefits because there's obviously, like you said, there's that this big initial transition when you become a mother, but that's not the end. It's not like then after six weeks or after a year or something, then you go back to normal. You know, actually you're changed forever and um, 
her book is a really interesting, um, you know, research and exploration into the longer term impacts of of having a baby and what that does to your brain. But you know, the the sort of to give you an overview, it's all about um, empathy. You know, it's all about um, senses. You become more sensitive to sights, smell, sounds. Um, you become better at reading nonverbal cues. You know, people with children actually have this huge range of qualities that, again, are not traditionally, um, not conventionally supported, you know, in our masculine culture, but that actually would make us really good, not just as mothers, but as employees, as politicians, as leaders, you know, in so many realms of life, the, these, um, these can have such big benefits if we were only to finally embrace that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, baby booster brain. There you go. We get a bonus after all the sleep deprivation and challenges <laughs> of early motherhood. Um, plus, if we can tap into that oxytocin, there's a wellspring there for us to be able to have a joyful and peaceful transition. Now, talking yeah. about the challenges, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, how motherhood is a learned skill. And in your book, you write, the cult of the instant omnificent mother does not allow for the true messiness of real life learning. And I really love this. And breaking down intuition. So sometimes there's this image or it's sort of silently portrayed that we will have a baby and then just intuitively know what to do with this baby, how to breastfeed, how to respond to its needs. And, and it's not like that. It takes <laughs> quite a bit of time. So I'd really like to um, break down the idea that intuition is really an accumulation of experience and inputs coming through as a knowing. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, culturally, we kind of make motherhood this almost like, you know, it's very unrealistic. It's almost uh, goddess-like, you know, and the image that always springs to mind when I think of that is is Mother Mary with baby Jesus. And, you know, we kind of think that we'll have a baby and we'll just want to not ever do anything else with our lives other than look after that baby. And then we can feel very conflicted when it's not like that, when we actually have to learn what to do and maybe we get frustrated and bored and, you know, sometimes we need a break and we actually still might want to do our careers or have hobbies, you know, like, and we go, oh, actually, that's not all there is to life, you know, but it's a very convenient myth um, for the patriarchy to keep women at home, you know, to sell us this idea that it's going to be this completely fulfilling, you know, experience and we'll never want to do anything else with our lives ever again, you know, but the reality is, it, it oh, sorry, the reality is it really does take time um, and the only way that you can learn a new skill particularly a feminine skill like mothering is through hands-on learning you've got to get in touch with your baby you know and the way to learn to breastfeed is to actually breastfeed and the way to learn to get a baby to sleep is to try putting a baby to sleep and that will mean you make a lot of mistakes along the way so if you're expecting from the get-go that you're going to get everything right you're going to be horribly disappointed but if you're expecting that you're going to have a, a you know a learning journey with your baby where you're going to try something and your baby might like it or not and then you're going to try something else and then your baby might like that or not and then over time you've got all of this data you know, that you can pull together and make a good decision about what's working for you and your baby, you know, and you do gain confidence over time. And often you look at mothers ahead of you, you know, whose babies are a bit older or who have more children than you. And you kind of feel like, how do they have it all together? But it's only because they also 
went through that period of trying this and trying that. And with every baby, you have to go through that process again. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that making mistakes is like a necessary path to building your database for a knowing, which then comes through feeling like an intuition. Like anyone that not, has been a mother for a little while could relate to that. That Sometimes you're still like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. But there's other times where you go, I just know that this is what my child needs now. But it didn't start like that. And I guess traditionally we would have been um, in much closer, larger family groups within the home, within the village. So we would have been exposed to our sisters and our aunties and other women having babies a lot more. So we might have accumulated that database earlier. So now we just need to start often when we have our first baby. Um, and even if you have been exposed, still you still need to make those mistakes. And oh. I really... I think that that's where postpartum care has uh, such an important role, good postpartum care, is that to make those mistakes necessary to tap into your knowing, you need to feel safe to do so and to grow in motherhood. So can you talk a little bit more about how important it is for women and drawing on traditional postpartum care practices to have that safe space to create a nurturing nest in the beginning of their early postpartum? Yeah, you know, and so much of about so much of it is just about not talking too much, you know, <laughs> because that is so the masculine thing to do is to like to teach and tell and to read books and to look on Google. Um, but actually, as a professional, you know, one of the best things you can do is actually just hold space for the woman. And again, that goes back to um, traditional cultures and so many traditional cultures. They don't talk as much as we do. We talk all the time. We kind of have to fill in all the empty spaces. But, um, you know, I was, I was talking to an Aboriginal man um, down south from here. He, he was from Margaret River, a Noongar man. And he was talking about how his elders don't talk. He's like, when we sit with our elders, we just sit in silence together. You know, and that's um, actually a very traditional way of being, of learning, you know, and, and of connecting with each other. So often the best thing you can do is just sit there with someone and, and listen to them and, you know, maybe ask a few questions, maybe give them a shoulder rub, um, you know, maybe give them some food, but, but most of all just listen and just allow them to be in that moment of unknowing um, and show them that you believe in them, that you know the way, that, that you know that they know the way out, that this mother will find her path um, without having to jump in with a million pieces of advice. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love it. So for anyone out there, whether you're a birth professional, postpartum professional, father, mother, grandparent, I think that's so important. And it's almost like, yeah, because our culture values the intellectual and the verbal so much, just giving people permission to not have to, just to have a presence that a, a new mum's nervous system is wired to be safe and part of that is just having a nice nurturing presence not being alone too much but also yeah not being bombarded with too much information i really really love that aspect of postpartum care and wisdom mm -hmm. um so i'll just quickly like to talk about fathers we talk a lot about the mothers and they have a starring role because they grow the baby and birth the baby and and sometimes due to biology do a lot of the early care but there's an important role for newborn fathers or partners um 
whether you're a same-sex partner or you're living with a friend, whoever's your partner during during that early postpartum time. I have a, a tongue-in-cheek saying, saying that sometimes that early postpartum is almost like the great divide because the mother's having this huge shift and for the father they're having somewhat of a shift but they're also going back to work soon a lot of the time um, and taking on a protector role or the partner might be. But I've changed that to the great divide or the perfect synergy. So in that, it's a different role for fathers. They have a a dance, hormonal dance and balance between testosterone and oxytocin. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so, you know, men do um, experience to some degree some of the changes that women go through. Well, and men and and non-birthing partners, so no matter the gender, but anyone who doesn't biologically give birth to a baby will still experience some elements of baby brain. But the triggers are environmental rather than biological, um, which is actually a lot the same for a mother as well. She obviously has the biological triggers as well. But if a woman births a baby and then walks away, you know, she's missing out on a lot of the environmental cues for that, the brain changes. So you really do need the environmental cues. So what happens often is, um, you know, and this is really just a theory of mine. I'd love someone to go and research it more. But um, what happens a lot is I've just experienced so many times that men, when they have a baby, they start working more. They start doing all this home maintenance. Um, you know, they maybe start, uh, you know, just doing crazy things. Like maybe they get a promotion that means they have to work away from the home. And if mums are just left going, what is wrong with you? Why don't you want to spend your time with us as a family? You know, and sure, some men are running away, but actually some men are, are just stepping really beautifully and naturally into a protector and provider role, um, which is also really important. So, yeah, I like that idea that it's, that it's synergy. Because yes, it, you know, we are social animals and our hormones react to social cues. So if the, if the partner perceives that the mother needs to spend that time with the baby and be safe at home, then he's going to figure out a way to get more money, um, you know, and be the provider for the family. So, you know, it's such a natural thing. But then what happens is testosterone, if that increases, it, it uh, decreases oxytocin. So if a man wants to be, or a non-biological parent wants to be more hands-on and more involved um, with the family, then then they can also experience a lot of the same brain changes now or later at any time when they want to engage more with their baby. Um, you know, and same when the mother wants to step out of that role, when she's kind of like, look, I'm done breastfeeding, I've had enough and I want to go back to work. There's no reason why um, she can't then embrace a more masculine way of doing things as well. So, you know, I guess it's important to know that both are valuable um, and that both can be engaged by anyone of any gender in any age and stage, you know, whenever it is appropriate in their lives for them to to use whichever one. You know what I mean? Oh, I love it. I love it. I laughed so much when you, I first was doing the postpartum doula training and you touched on this idea because it's my partner to a T. He's, he's a builder anyway. He works, but then in his spare time, he renovates his house. <laughs> and it really did kick into a different gear after I came home with babies. <laughs> so I was quite relieved to know that, and I wish I had known before. <laughs> but now um, I can see it in other couples and just to break it down and, and explain um, 
I'm getting some notification on Zoom. Okay, we'll have to wrap it up. Yeah, it was such a relief. So I think it's such an important part for people to understand. All right, so um, I'd just like to hear a little bit about your vision for postpartum care. So there were no limits, no barriers, mainstream postpartum care. Yeah, I'd love to, it to stay unregulated, which is tricky if we're going to get funding. But my ultimate dream would be for women to um, be able to um, get a certain amount of just minimum uh, income, you know, when they have a baby, they just get an allowance that they can spend on whatever they want to spend. Um, but particularly if there were some kind of incentives or tax breaks, um, encouraging women to actually um, get services rather than equipment. And that can be any service because, you know, whether it's a cleaner, whether it's a um, meal delivery service, whether it's a massage or a doula or anything, I think services are really, um, you know, what, what makes motherhood better rather than equipment. And obviously you need some equipment, but very little compared to the amount you could spend on services. So that would be my dream, that it's not a regulated thing, like you can only get a rebate on this particular qualification, but actually that all services were seen as, as valuable and useful for mums. So. That's what I'd like to see. I love it. Yeah, I'd love to see something like the NDIS, so people don't know, it's like a disability scheme and um, it can be self-managed by a client. They get to choose where they want that money to go in different services. I'd love to see something like for postpartum care. So you'd have this, um, these options. You might get a doula or a physio or food delivered. Or yes, and you'd meet with someone when you're pregnant to create a care yes. plan to make sure and it might change after as well, depending on how your birth went and mental health yeah. access, mental health access is a given for at least one visit. Yeah. So um, dream big and actions happen. I reckon. Keep, yes. Keep working on that one. <laughs> um, okay. So before we wrap up, if you'd just like to talk a little bit about your book, where people can find it, um, your courses that you run, by the way, the book would be, I've read most of it, it would be a great present for any new mums. It's filled with great practical ideas, knowledge, and lots of really lovely traditional stories about postpartum care. So, yeah, if you can let people... Yeah, the book's probably the best place to start. So you can go to newbornmothers.com uh, and then there's a tab for books. So you can find my recipe book there as well as my new book, which is just called Newborn Mothers. And um, yeah, I think newborn mothers is it, the book is the best place to start. But then also um, for professionals, I have the training, which is newborn mothers collective. But you can just go over to newbornmothers.com. There's a podcast and there's some free stuff you can download. So yes, just head on over and, and um, grab whatever looks useful to you. Wonderful. Yeah, go check it out. We're so lucky to have this resource and um, such a wealth of knowledge in Australian. Australian resource too. Thanks so much, Julia. It's been interesting and wonderful and I'm sure we could chat for hours and hours. Um, <laughs> yeah, I look forward to chatting again sometime possibly. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thanks for listening and if there was something there for you, please head on over to the pollinationmamas.com webpage, sign up for latest podcasts, nourishing recipes, blogs and much more. Head on over to Anchor FM at Pollination Mamas and sign up for the podcast there or to Facebook and Instagram and say hello. But importantly, share widely with anyone you may know who would gain something from this. Thank you.